Real fast, I wanted to tell you about my new podcast, Upworthy Weekly. It's a lighthearted news podcast. It comes out on Saturdays, and I have forced my co-host, Todd Perry, to join me here to help me tell you about our new venture. Todd, why should they listen? Well, I mean, a lot of people, they think, oh, it's the Upworthy podcast. It's just going to be sunshine, and it's going to be unicorns. But you know what? It's really not that. Allison doesn't have the ability. She doesn't have it in her to actually be that person that I thought we were hiring when we did this show. But clearly, after just a couple episodes, the facade dropped. Okay, I thought, you know, she's doing the Upworthy show. It's not going to be like, oh, neurotic, cynical Allison. But no, she's there. So, you know, I try to counteract that with some of my good vibes. <laughs> um, and, uh, I would argue that if one person is coming off as a little bit cynical and unhinged right now, it's not me. It comes out every Saturday, wherever you get podcasts. Bye. Allison Rosen, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Allison, Allison, with perfect good times never end. Allison Rosen, doing the wavy pants and pants again. Allison Rosen, Allison's your new best friend. Hey everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I am delighted to bring in my guest in a moment, but first I must say hello and catch up with you guys and explain that even though producer Tony Thaxton is back in town and I recorded in person with him the other night, he is not here for this recording because he is at a wedding. Uh, I was listening to a motivational speaker, life coach kind of person on Instagram the other day. Listening to is too strong. That makes it sound like I like decided to devote my time to this person. And it's more like I was scrolling through and it caught my eye. And she was like, there's three things you need to learn and you need to like really take in. And once you take these things in, your life will change. And I forget what two of them are, but one of them was like, if they wanted to, they would. So to Tony Thaxton and the Tony Thaxtons out there, I just have to say, if you wanted to be here, you would. And if you wanted to be here for the duration of your rock tour, you would have. And if you had wanted to be here for your other rock tour, you would have, Tony so I am left to draw the conclusion that you didn't want to be here. And I don't know how that makes me feel. I'm going to sit here and think about it because I think silence works well on an audio podcast. However, if you happen to be watching this on YouTube, youtube.com slash Allison Rosen, please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell so that you get alerts when I take action on YouTube. And you can see my face as I think about how it makes me feel. Although on the most recent, no, two, some number of episodes ago, but recently I decided that I don't care anymore, Tony. I'm done being invested in your Tony Thaxton games. Okay. And that's why I can talk so openly about it. Because if I cared, I wouldn't be able to talk about it because I would feel embarrassed 
that I'm laying it all out there because it's making me vulnerable and it, it seems desperate and pathetic. Only someone who's over it would be able to be so emotionally revealing. Hence, clearly, I'm done caring about it, which is why I can be so transparent. Okay. I'm very, very excited to welcome my guest. This is someone that I go way, 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 but not that way far back because we're both very young. We're a couple of up-and-coming whippersnapper ingenues making waves. Um, As you might know, if you listen to my show lately, I have uh, realized that I can no longer do intros. I've been doing the show for a very long time, but lately, every every time I try to introduce a guest, I... Just doesn't go well. So I'm just going to bring him in and then we're just going to explain who it is. Please put your hands together for my good friend, Mark Armstrong. Hi, Allison. Hello. Thanks for having me. I don't know what happened. It just very recently, when I try to introduce a guest, it like just comes out all jumbled. I try to give their credits, then I give their name, and then I realize I've done it in the wrong order. But anyway, you're a journalist. And also you founded Long Reads, which is a big deal, and everyone's heard of it. <laughs> and then you sold Long Reads, and now you're doing Ursa, which is a podcast uh, featuring short stories from underrepresented voices. You've lived all over. When I And also you played in a band. You know why? It's just, it's too many things. That's why it's hard to boil it all down into your essence. But that's what we're going to do today, Mark. That's wonderful. You you boiled it down perfectly. That was wonderful. <laughs> but I think we need to go back to our beginning, how our we beginning. know each other. Like, I know. Is that, is that a useful backstory? Yeah, I think so. So okay. I had just moved to New York. Uh, it's kind of crazy. I was thinking about it earlier. I was thinking, cause like my listeners, you know, pretty much know my story, but you represent a little bit of a link from Orange County to New York. I met you in New York, but I met you via a friend that connects me from like my, my college life through my back in Orange County. I mean, it's, it's crazy how like, how our friendship has your and my friendship has like these friendship roots that go back pretty far. So anyway, in New York, my friend JR, who I know from magazine writing and that went all the way through college, uh, was getting married and he was getting married in New Hampshire and you were going to the wedding as well. So I didn't, I didn't know you, uh, but we carpooled and that's how I met you. And then we became friends and we've been friends ever since, except there's a big chunk where we weren't in touch and now we're reconnecting on the podcast. Yeah. I think this is going to be an interesting conversation because we haven't actually talked, I would say in at least 15 years. Oh my God. Has it has been it that been? long? I feel like, okay. That's so upsetting. My, my vague recollection is that I feel like the last time we chatted on the and street, I didn't know if I was talking on a to you. stoop in Brooklyn. Okay, I got it exactly right. Because I was like, was I talking to Allison on the phone while we were having a stoop sale in Brooklyn? Or did she actually walk by? And so you actually walked by. So that was it. We were, that was probably like 2009. Our first child was born. Yeah. And we ended up staying in New York another three years after that. But did you go to LA right after that? Yeah, I moved back in 2010. But when I ran into you on the street in Brooklyn, it had already been a little while since we had been in yeah. close contact. Yep, definitely. 
Because I know that it was like, oh my God, Mark, like, what have you been up to? What are you doing in Brooklyn? <laughs> yeah. And then and, and you already had, you had a child and a wife and it was like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah. So it's been a long time since we chatted. And then, um, but the first time we met, so I moved to New York. I moved to New York. I was living in LA and I moved to New York two weeks before 9-11. Oh my God. Um, but, you know, that's a whole other thing. Um, when I moved, my friend JR, who I worked with, um, <clears throat> and his Did girlfriend. Did you guys work at E? We worked at E Online. Mm-hmm. Um, and his girlfriend, soon to be wife Mara, they both just like brilliant music people who knew everything about music. And yeah. so they, they, they hooked me up with just this entire shoebox full of burn cds for my trip to new york <laughs> and so like they introduced me to elbow they introduced me to so they and so i brought those burn cds on our uh wedding carpool trip and i remembered that i was playing oh i love this band they're this uh, sub pop band called arlo and i was just like gushing about them. them yeah i don't i don't know what happened to them either but they um but you're like, oh, they're playing at the Mercury Lounge, and I think I know the Sub Pop guys, so I can uh-huh. get you tickets. And um, and so that was like the beginning of our friendship there. Did I go to that show, or I did I just remember. get you tickets? Okay, you might have just gotten me tickets. The funny thing is that so I know a guy who I believe either played in a band with Arlo, or like either played in Arlo, or his band played on bills with arlo and i did after you and i emailed today i did tweet him today to find out like whatever happened to arlo so yes. i'm hot on the trail of finding out what happened to arlo i, I would was love to find out because i, was, I really enjoyed them i was listening to them today after after you mentioned it in an email yeah so we became friends you played in a band um this was back in 2002 that we met it's funny because when i think about my time in new york I like to think about like my late, some of my later years in New York when I feel like I was working at like Time Out in New York. I started going on television. I kind of like hit my stride. I wasn't struggling as much. And then I created Allison Rosen as your new best friend. And I just was, I just found my place a little more versus mm-hmm. 2002. <laughs> Were you freelancing? Yes. And I was living in a sublet and I didn't have all my, I mean, it was like right when I got there and it was so hard and it was so hot. And I don't even think I had discovered Japanese straightening yet for my hair. So like I had a bad hair situation going on. Um, I had purchased this like loud, rhinestone crucifix and then i realized like this is not who i am and i returned it i mean i didn't know who i i really didn't know who i was yet um i don't i i think that's when i met you and then also i and i think it's okay to talk about this like i briefly dated the drummer of your band remember that's right. Yes. Mm-hmm. YouTube.com slash Allison Rosen to see your face when I just said that. And I mean, I was just like a sloppy gal at that time. I just didn't know what I was doing. 
Well, I feel like that was, you know, New York in your 20s, which many people have done. I mean, I think that's <laughs> that is the time in which you're trying to figure out what you're doing. And then and I was know, doing I think, it all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and then you're, you know, you end up meeting all of these people. And then here you are like 20 years later and you see all of these people and all of the interesting things they've gone off and done and places they've ended up. And um I just like a lot of great memories, obviously, like, you know, a lot of embarrassing memories, too. Oh, my God. Um, I spilled alcohol. Now I can't remember if this happened with your drummer or with you. And if it happened with your drummer in your room, I'm sorry. There's nothing sexual about this story. But I spilled alcohol and I tried to sop it up with a piece of bread do you remember this at all? I don't remember that. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I hope I didn't leave a mess in your room. I we think can cut this a- part out. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was at a New Year's Eve party. I was um, like, I don't have anything to clean this up with. No, we're keeping this in. This is gold. Anyway. <laughs> so, yes. Just uh, because my listeners know my whole story. What I'm referring – when I talk about just being sloppy, what I'm referring to, like they know that I had like a – you know, I I, uh, I was a late bloomer and I went to New York and I was like, I'm going to make up for lost time by experimenting with like everything. So what I'm talking mm-hmm. about is like my sort of just uh, being a little out of control times. And that was those times. And I'm, you know, embarrassed by all of that. Anyway. Okay. So you remind me where you went to college. So I grew up, I grew up in California. I grew up in Fresno, went to college at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Right. Studied journalism there. Um, after college, moved to my first job was as a newspaper reporter in Palm Springs, and so I worked in Palm Springs for a bit, mm. and then a job opened up in LA. I was doing like hard news, like covering city council and things like that. Um, but it was kind of like either go to the next size newspaper in Riverside, California, or um, or go do something else. And I wanted to go to LA. And so sort of switched into entertainment and of course, like dot com, digital media boom and all of that stuff happening. Um, ended up getting a job at E and that's where I met JR and spent a, a year in LA and I was, you know, a California kid and I thought I would spend, you know, uh, a long time in LA. I liked LA and I liked California and then an, a job opportunity opened up in New York and they offered me that. Um, and I initially turned it down because I was just comfortable in LA. And um, one of my bosses, you know, took me to lunch at the In-N-Out Burger truck and just said, "You, what are you doing? You got if someone is offering to move you to New York, you go to New York." Right. And and so um, so that's when I moved to New York, and that was 2001. And then uh, worked in digital media. And that was uh, around also the same at, time you and I met. That was also at E. I was at E for a while, and then I ended up at Time Inc. at People, which is where I met the co-founder of Ursa, Donnie okay. Walton. So oh, it's, wow. So I met Donnie around the same time I met you. So Donnie and I were both working in digital media at Time Inc. And um, so, uh, you know, she had gone off after that. She worked in digital media for a while and then went off to um, get her MFA at the Iowa Writers Workshop, cre- oh, wow. uh, MFA in creative writing. And um, so she went off, wrote a novel. Her debut novel came out last year, The Final Revival of Opal and Nev, and made a big splash. Obama picked it as one of his favorite books of the year. Um, um, Obama? 
yeah, President Obama. Not yes. not familiar. Um, so like the and then um, and then I went off and you know continued in digital media, worked in startups, and um, and then started long reads um, back in two thousand nine, and that yeah. was for, that was first so- like a Twitter account and a hashtag basically. So take me through that because I remember your time at People. I actually did some, <laughs> I did a little bit of writing for you at People. I remember waking up early in the morning. That's right. Mm-hmm. And then I remember one morning forgetting to wake up and feeling terrible. The way that worked was like you would wake up super early and file stories. But then like I slept through my alarm one morning and that was not cool. Um, I'm painting a terrible picture of ice. I don't remember that. I thought you did great. Thank you. I think that I caught, I think it was, I think it ended up being fine, but I think you were, it was like, this was pretext. I think you called me and you're like, where are you? And I'm like, oh, fuck. Um, I, I, so I, I don't think I actually missed it. We didn't even have blackberries yet. No, I know. Just a regular old telephone, maybe. Um, yeah, I think, I, I don't, like I said, I don't think I actually missed a deadline, but I think I just, uh, didn't wake up at the time that I was supposed to and get you the thing at, at the time, but it ended up being fine. Um, but okay. So you were at people.com. So this would have, that would have been like, this was before I was at timeout New York. So this would have been maybe 2004, 2000. Yeah. 2000. I started there at end of 2004. So this was like 2004 probably. So okay. then 2004, then where did you go? Or like at, at what, how long did you stay at people? I was at People um, probably till two thousand seven. Okay, and like you that. were doing you were doing People Online. Yep, People dot com, and that was that was like the era the era of you know going head to head with TMZ and like yeah. I just like that was just the the early two thousands you know gossip blog explosion. How are you and, feeling about it? Oh, terrible! I feel. <laughs> I mean, at the time, I felt terrible too. I just, I, I left there, vowing to never, you know, work in, cele- you know, celebrity media or entertainment media ever again. I learned a lot just about digital media and worked with a lot of great people, and, um, you know, but, uh, but I came out of that, you know, knowing that I wasn't going to do anything like that again. And it was like a twenty-four hour job at that time too. Because right. There'd always be something going on or something that would need to need to be posted. And um, I, I thought that was not really a way to live one's life. It's interesting because I would say that people.com is not as salacious as some like say this is was also the arrow. Daniel, my husband, Daniel and I were just talking about how back then. Gawker was like as soon, you know, as soon as I would sit down at my computer Gawker was the place I would, my figures would take me to. I would just instantly type in Gawker and like, there's not, now I get, I guess Twitter is just the place to go. It's like my first landing place, you know? Um, but I would say people.com was not as salacious, right? But still you felt that it was. No, I mean, I think just in terms of, in terms of like how things were covered, I thought, mm-hmm. you know, everybody was respectful in that way, but the subject matter itself, um, was not, you know, something that I felt like I needed to be working on. Yeah. Um, in terms of, you know, going deep into people's personal lives. Um, right. So, just, yeah. sorry, go ahead. So then you, so you left, you just tell me about the decision to leave. Yeah. So I left and, and, um, 
uh, you know, it was, I was basically burned out and, and just decided I was going to go, you know, work in other areas of media, media, other areas of digital content. There were all sorts of things that were still interesting to me in that, that a lot of things happening on the startup front. Um, so I ended up, I worked in advertising for a little bit, uh, like digital content strategy and, um, and then ended up at a startup, a personal finance startup called Bundle. And it was like, um, it was a joint venture of Microsoft and Citibank. And it was essentially like a personal finance site. Mm-hmm. And so um, put together sort of the editorial team for that. And and at that time, Tumblr was just starting to become a thing. And Twitter was becoming a thing. This is like 2008, 2009. Um, and so like we we staffed Bundle with a bunch of people who like were like, really interesting bloggers or creative people that we, we found on Tumblr or Twitter essentially, and um, met so many interesting people. M- um, Mike Dang, who worked at Bundle, he ended up working with me at Longreads after mm-hmm. that. Um, and it was while I was at that startup that um, I launched Longreads just as like an experiment with Twitter and hashtags were like all the rage. So uh, it was trying to figuring out how could I experiment with that taxonomy around like, you know, getting people to share stuff. Um, yeah. And, and in, that, in that specific instance, it was essays and long form magazine journalism that they that they liked. Yeah. How did that tell me more about that? How did that come about? That was another New York thing, essentially, where it was. um you know, commuting, like, I I feel like a lot of these things are just like, you're in a moment, and you think of something that you specifically need in that moment. And for me, it was commuting by subway to the bundle offices from Brooklyn to Manhattan. At the time, the subways had no cell phone reception. Mm -hmm. And Instapaper was this big thing, which was like a save for later app. And um, so I was looking for stuff to read to save on the phone to read on the commute. And so I just sort of put out there one afternoon. I had been, I had the idea in my head for a while, like long reads. I just liked the phrase long reads mm-hmm. um, and um, bought the domain and then sat on it for like nine months and ended up doing nothing with it. And then one afternoon I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna put it on Twitter, see what happens. And, um, and it just took off. Like it was just like a perfect a perfect moment because journalists were hungry for it. It was like the thing that journalists absolutely loved. Yeah. And it was within that Twitter environment um, when Twitter was a little more innocent. <laughs> and um, and it kind of took off from there. And then it it took off to the point that I then, you know, with a few friends um, decided to build it into an actual site and an actual company. And then we ran it um, independently for the next five years. And then it was acquired by the parent company of WordPress automatic. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was interesting like to me from where I sit, it's like, Oh my God, Mark Armstrong went out there and has been such a success. He founded long re I, th- I don't, I don't think I realized until sort of recently that you had stepped away from well, you, ha- you have, have you stepped away from long? Like, I know you don't own it anymore. Are you still involved in it or no? No. So I stayed at automatic for the next six years after that. So I stayed there until 2020 and, um, 2020, obviously pandemic, 
I, like my last day at automatic was the day before remote school started. So uh, that was like job one. And I was very fortunate to be in a place where I could step away and mm. focus on that. Um, but I also knew that I was going to, I wanted to start another company again. Um, there was a lot that I thought, you know, it's just like a good time to like everyone else, you know, the great resignation, a time to step away and reassess what we're doing. And, um, and so, yeah, so after six years left and, um, and I had been, I had started talking to Donnie because I always felt like with long reads, when I first started long reads, it was supposed to be both nonfiction and fiction. And, um, I think because it was sort of Twitter based and because the journalists were so excited, it kind of got mostly lumped into the sort of the journalism side, narrative journalism, um, and I always felt like there was a lot of unfinished business with short stories and short fiction and talking to Donnie, Donnie's experience coming out of the Iowa writers workshop was that she had gotten to know all of these amazing short story writers. And then they come out of their MFA program and the agents all just want novels. And so yeah. the whole publishing industry is about novels. And so um, there's just a massive amount of really great short stories on the internet though. Like so many. Well, wait, can we, let's, let's pause that. Yes. Let's pause that. Cause I, I, I just want to go back to long reads for just a second. Sure. Um, so what I was saying is I, to me, it's like Mark Armstrong, my friend who I ha had lost touch with went out there, created long reads, which is this thing that is this, cultural force everyone knows of long reads like that's amazing he's such a success good for him um and then today i was looking at your website um or your blog and i was reading this post of yours where you were talking about like some things you learned from long reads and sort of like what um like cr uh crowdfunding and rewards and things like that in the sense i got tell me if I'm right, was that maybe you uh, actually, instead of telling you what I think you feel and asking if that's <laughs> right, I'm just going to ask the question. Do you feel like long reads? Uh, do you feel like a success? That's my question. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, long reads won a national magazine award, which that's is awesome. like, the weirdest thing like this thing was a Twitter account and a hashtag and like to like think of and and it created a space for so many amazing writers and uh, who, you know, then went on to publish books and we we produced a bunch of really great podcasts um, and it was just like, I mean, it um, I have, you know most of my career is, you know, built on the relationships that I made through long reads. So I think about that. A lot of when I think about long reads, I think about the people I met through long mm -hmm. reads versus like it itself, you know, it's like a name and a brand, but yeah. I, I'm very proud of what it became. And I, you know, I wouldn't have imagined it turned into what it did. And I'm, I'm so grateful that it's also still, still around and still right. running. Um, so, no, I mean, that post, I, I really wanted to share that because, um, especially in the Substack era and the Patreon era, mm -hmm. where the, the creator economy, where everybody's encouraged to sort of set up a, 
subscription and you only need a thousand true fans, you know, right. and then you're all set. And then, you know, everyone's just going to keep paying you forever. And I just wanted to present like a realistic view of like, it, it is a slog. It's a lot the of churn, work. Yeah. There is churn. And, um, and, you know, and it's also when it comes to starting something like that, it really is like, from, you know, there were points when it was independent where, you know, it was not it's similar to the people.com experience where you're just like not creating boundaries for yourself when you work, not shutting mm -hmm. down, especially when you run, run your own thing. Um, there is no vacation time because right. it's just sitting in the back of your head if you're not working on it. Mm -hmm. So that was something, especially when I was like, oh, I'm going to do this again. <laughs> um, <laughs> like I was like, okay, but like now what kind of habits do we have in place around boundaries, around, you know, personal health and exercise around your relationships and mm -hmm. everybody like, I think that was like, um, that was kind of my point with that post, which is, you know, just thinking about all of the, all of the different factors that go into something being sustainable. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I'm so, um, I'm so happy with how it all, you know, how it all turned out in terms of, um, in terms of long reads, being able to continue on, um, building into, into this thing that continues now to this day. So, um, and, but I think it was also like, after you sell a company, um, it is no longer your company. Like, right. You know, there's, you have sort of limited, there's, there's a limitation, especially if you founded something and you were used to, well, we could do whatever we want with this. Like we started this ourselves. There are limitations to that when you, when you have a, you know, a bigger company comes in, buys it, there are other stakeholders or other questions, other things that need resources, stuff like that. So, right. um, so that was like six years was a good time. I worked on, worked on long reads, but also worked on a lot of WordPress stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, yeah, I'm really happy about it. What was your takeaway from reading it? Like, did any of that resonate with you? Because like, it, go ahead. because you have a Patreon, like you have been to me, very inspiring in what oh, you have created. You. Um, and you started doing it very early on. Like the, the question I like a question I have for you and we don't have to answer this now, but it's <laughs> essentially like, when did you say I am going to do this Alison Rosen thing? Um, you know, I don't know that there was ever a specific moment where I was like, I'm going all in on the Allison Rosen thing. Um, but I, I'm grateful that at some point I converted because I don't know that like the kind of magazine jobs that we had at one point are there anymore and sustainable. For sure. Um, it just sort of gradually happened. And then at some point I, I was like, oh, I'm doing this. I think that the final kick in the pants for me was probably getting fired from the Adam Carolla show. It was like there was no but at that point I was podcasting full time. Yeah. Um but it wasn't independent. You know, I, I was I was on his show and then I was doing Alison Rosen's new best friend on his network. And then I got the boot. And then I was just that was this like fire that was lit under my ass. Um, and I was just like, OK, I have no choice but to like instantly get up and running independently. Um, and I didn't even you know, I 
I didn't miss an episode in terms of my release schedule. Um, so I think that at that point, but like without thinking, okay, I'm all in on me, it just sort of, it, it happened, but that was probably the thing that like was, I guess, a catalyst. Um, but like I already was. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like just from the outside, it seemed like before that you had kind of, um, you had moved a little bit into comedy Mm -hmm. and, and sort of being your own, for lack of a better term, personal brand. Right. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, the, uh, you know, I was already doing Alice Rose's Your New Best Friend, like this, the logo behind me, they, you know, that was created in New York and the segments mm-hmm. were in New York and I was already doing it as a streaming Ustream show. And I think that when I was living in New York, I had an agent who represented like news people. And then in moving to LA, that's where more of the comedy things were. And that's not why I moved, but it's like that the die a die was cast a little bit in in that regard. Um Yeah, I mean like yeah, like I said, it was never a conscious like I am going to be my own personal brand. It just kind of ha it just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I'm just kind of like grateful. Grateful that it did. Although I'm grateful that it did, although and I don't know if you have this at all i hope you don't (laughs) but i definitely still have moments where i'm like i should have done this i should have gone this way with my career i should be doing this what am i doing what you know what i mean like i still have a lot of like swirling stuff in my head around my career yeah well i mean um i mean i feel like everybody has that like Mm -hmm. i have that for sure but i think like the thing that i from the outside, uh, just like you and the work you do, I feel like the comes very naturally to you. Oh, like thank you. you being you on the internet <laughs> comes very naturally. Um, which, um, which is someone who I feel like I miss the, you know, this is going to be like Gen X, Gen X stories. <laughs> where it's like as a Gen Xer who missed the entire Instagram mm-hmm. selfie era, where it's just like being on camera or like presenting myself on the internet, like did not come naturally to me Mm. and like was a source of a lot of anxiety. So like, um, so I was just like, Oh, Allison's just doing it and putting herself out there and presenting herself. And I, I just like, I appreciate that. Um, but I also wonder if you had sort of had to think about that consciously. Um, you know, that part I have been doing for so long, that it's like I have been doing it for so long that it's hard for me to get excited about going live on Instagram or streaming on YouTube or all these things that people are doing now. It's like I was doing it when it was Ustream or I, you know, I was doing it on the streets of Brooklyn in 2010. So Paris, you know, Periscope is defunct at this, I think at this point, but it's like all these things or Twitch or all this stuff. I don't even understand Twitch, but or even snap like I, I know that not Snapchat, um, TikTok. And I love your TikToks. <laughs> but like I feel like I need to get better at TikTok. But like all these new things, I just feel like, uh, I am like burnt out on it because I was doing it twelve years ago. I was such an early adopter to all all of that stuff that it's like 
lost a little bit of luster for me. You're so like, it's this like again, the, another platform doing this. A little bit. Like the novelty of it is there's not a lot of novelty for I feel like I'm I I don't mean to sound uh I don't mean to sound like better than or something, but like I I feel like I'm a little bit past it. I it's not new for me. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway, I remember I was doing a stand up um for a little a little thing um like a news thing uh for channel four remember i was doing some news stuff and like a stand-up which is where i remember that Mm -hmm. yeah where you talk to the camera uh and i remember the producer saying uh you know pretend you're talking to your best friend because they had like given me they they were like helping me with this the script part of it and i was talking about like the I forget what it was. It was like the quartz room at the, or the rose room at the, it was something about like jazz at the natural history museum. And I was having trouble making it sound natural. Uh, And I think I seemed really stilted talking to the camera. And I was actually thinking about this earlier. Um, And that was an, that was an example of something where I was talking to the camera and I did not yet have a lot of experience talking to the camera and I was not yet at the point where I ha- I had a lot of like, hey, you guys, it's me, Allison, whatever. Whereas now it's like I have no problem just talking to a camera in a very natural way. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a point where I wasn't good at it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now it is second nature to just talk to the camera like it is a friend. Did that? I feel like that didn't answer your question. No, it does. I think um, I'm I'm really curious about the TikTok thing now on what you're going to do with TikTok. Um. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. My friend Renee is on. She's her TikToks are like her just talking, kind of just doing like like Instagram stories on TikTok. Whereas I feel like if I'm going to be on TikTok, I need to like be like creative and but I don't feel creative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, you've got a lot of other channels. You, you I'm know. not a video editor. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the thing for me. With, um, I mean, I got on TikTok basically because I was inspired by my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have two daughters, 13 and 11. And, um, and they were, you know, just sort of like from my vantage point, I was like, oh, they're doing like really creative stuff on this thing. And then I started looking at it. Um, and like the video editing tools and all the stuff within it. And then, you know, the other thing that TikTok owns CapCut, that video, I was just like, what is that? It's, it's owned by, it's basically like a video editing app that's owned by TikTok. Um, but I was looking at all this stuff and this is maybe this is part of like midlife awakening. I won't call it crisis midlife (laughs) awakening where it's just like, and I did a TikTok about this because I was just like, I'm looking at all these tools that if I were like 12 year, 12 year old Mark, who is like making Lego movies with my friends mm-hmm. and like putting on shows, like I would have just like, just been so mesmerized that like I could make movies with my phone. Like right. I had to, when we made movies, this is once again, Gen X memories, the uh, you had to take two VCRs and then you got the mixing console from Radio Shack and you had to connect them <laughs> together to edit together. Yeah. But like, so I was just like, here, here we are, 
um, grownups now. And there's all this cool stuff that our younger selves would have loved to create with. Mm-hmm. And so, so for me, it was just like, why, why can't I do that now? Like what's, right. you know, and the kids are getting older. So there's a little more independence and, you know, um, the grownups can do a little more with that too. So I've thought a lot about that recently, which is like, there's so many, and with audio too, with podcasting and the stuff that we've experimented on, on the Ursa front, like there's so many, um, it's just so much easier to make videos and make podcasts now. Um, and it's a lot of fun. So why, you know, why can't grownups and adults do this too? Yeah, definitely. And I, I have to get on my, I have to get on my uh high horse <laughs> is it a soapbox 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 oh my god brain brain <laughs> fart dead dead a dead brain fart um i have to get on my soapbox for a second and say on that front don't sound like shit on your podcast people i recently climbed up a guest asshole about this a guest whose audio did not sound good. It is not hard to sound decent. Don't sound bad. It. A lot of listeners aren't going to notice, but some listeners are going to notice. Don't do it. Sound do you go- a- if you have it in your power to sound good, don't not sound good. Do sound good. That's. Uh, I'm getting off my soapbox now. <laughs> do you agree, Mark? Do you have like um. I mostly agree, but so I, but I'll explain. For, so do you have a few quick tips on how to do that inexpensively? Yeah. Get, uh, if you're recording remotely, uh, record through a USB microphone, uh, and QuickTime. Don't record through your computer's built in microphone. Um, and Record through a microphone that's like close to your mouth. Don't record through a microphone that's far away from your mouth. Uh, and, you know, if someone wants to like reach out to me, I can recommend a mic. There's, there's an array of microphones I could recommend. Um, you know, there's like lots of shortcuts that people will use that where they're like, I think it's going to sound sufficient. I'm like, it's not, it's not going to though. Um, you know, don't like an echoey room is not good. Uh, try to set your microphone or your computer like on a blanket or something. Um, yeah. What What about? What do you think? Um, I am. I I feel like that is sort of next level pro tips. Like for me, job one is like, you know, the guests, the research, the content of the. Oh. Yeah, no, I'm, I guess I'm talking about the next level. Yeah, Yeah, you're, you're going next level. Um, but maybe uh, what I'm saying is if you're going to come on my podcast, (laughs) 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 Um, no, 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 I'm talking about other people's podcasts too, because I'll listen and I'll think like this person doesn't sound as good as they could. And it, it bums me out. Yeah, I know. I think, you know, there are definitely, I mean, I will say this though, there are a lot more, this is once again, getting to the ease of, and the pandemic accelerated all of this. It is so much easier to do a remote podcast now than it was two years ago. Oh yeah. Um, And there are a lot more tools 
that help kind of streamline the noise reduction and things like that. So there are tools out there. I mean, it's not always going to be perfect. And, Mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, it's getting to a pretty good place. So, um, if, if I can get a good, if I can get good recording, if I can get like full sentences, (laughs) um, I'm happy. Um, yeah. So that's that's undermining your soapbox. No, 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 that's fine. I think you're right. You know, I, I go back and forth with uh, aforementioned Tony, who has abandoned me for an array of places. Like his thing is like, you know, as long as I think I don't want to put words in his mouth, but like the main thing is the listener wants to be able to hear what the guest is saying. If they can't hear what the guest is saying, that's when they get annoyed. And I'm like, yeah, you're totally right. Because I will sometimes not be able to see the forest for the trees audio-wise, where I'm like not even paying attention to what they're saying if the sound quality is like tinny or like sizzly or, you know, like the uh, the specific audio quality will like drive me up a wall. Yeah. Um, I, th- I don't think that's the vast majority of people, but. Anyway, uh, that's is, this is a total tangent. Okay, so but this gets into the questions that I have for you about okay. what you've learned from your podcast. Like, because well, I can you, tell you, but because, let's go back. To, okay, go ahead. Oh well, I want to go back to what I learned from your post, though, because as someone who does have a Patreon, um, it was interesting what you were saying about how for a little while you did put some long read stuff behind a paywall. Yep. And then you realized that for long reads, it worked better to ask people to support something they believed in as opposed to pay for certain rewards. For sure. And that was really interesting to me. Um, I think Patreon is set up a little bit differently in that I do think people like getting specific rewards, um, but it's it's interesting. It's something I've been thinking about, you know? Um, I don't know. And then like, you look at, you know, a show like you're wrong about. um, And I I know you're friends with Michael Hobbs, right? Um, And like the, you're wrong about Patreon has, you know, tons of members and they don't promise anything. You're just supporting the show. Yeah. I mean, um, I feel like the in the podcasting world, Patreon mm-hmm. and the bonus episode kind of setup, bonus yes. episode plus community setup. Yeah, it's its um, own thing. Really dialed it in. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. Like right. once you've got the like, and um, yeah, I've I feel like I've I've learned so much from you. I've learned so much from Michael Hobbs, and you're wrong about in maintenance phase. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Um, yeah, they've like Patreon, I think, has worked really well on that front, which is like to offer some bonus episodes. But people like and that was the thing that I I think that, you know, when I left uh, Long Reads and Automatic, I, you know, and it was during the pandemic and I'm a late comer to podcasting, but just really got into the intimacy of podcasting and wanted to get deeper into it. And I and, you know, we knew we wanted to do something with a podcast with Ursa and um and so it was you know learning from you learning from michael in terms of like the relationships you built and i think that works really well for memberships but i think it it does um 
fundamentally still go back to the same point I was making with long reads, which was that people really like and are really like really want you to do well. They want, Mm -hmm. you know, you're wrong about a maintenance phase to do well and they want to support it as like an affinity thing, not as like, oh, I'm going to get exclusive information, which I think, you know, when, when I was doing it with long reads, we didn't, Patreon did not exist. It was like a PayPal button and I would email people ebooks of our exclusives that they could download onto their Kindle. And um, so it was also kind of like an awkward user experience to like yes. get access to it. And they're like, why don't you just put this on a website and make it free and, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> and I'll pay you anyway. Um, right. And the, the point you make of like, you know, putting stuff out there that, cause you're, we want it to grow anyway. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so tell me, okay. So I, let's just, uh, let's just get organized for a moment. Okay. Here's the things I know you have some questions for me, which I'm happy I to do. answer. Uh, what I want to know for, I still want to, uh, you got to tell me about Ursa. So we got to talk about that. And then also I want to know if you're, if you're uh, open to talking about it, I would like to know, even though I sort of know, but I'm forgetting, I want to know how you met your wife and I want to know, um, about, uh, being a father to two uh, preteen girls and that. Um, and then I want to know about leaving New York and moving to the Bay Area and then Seattle. Those are my questions for you. So however you would like to parse your time, to cover. go for it. Yes, mm-hmm. I know. Um, <laughs> I forgot the question. Tell me about Ursa. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so um, yeah, so this does lead to the Ursa thing because, you know, so Donnie and I, um, should I start the whole story over? No, we've, we've been over <laughs> part of it. Um, so Donnie and I started chatting. We, we put together this idea that we wanted to create a platform, um, short fiction with an emphasis on underrepresented voices. And we were both, um, really blown away by, uh, the short story collection, Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Disha Filia, which won a bunch of awards in 2020, 2021, um, and we were lucky enough to get her involved in Ursa as well. And, um, and so we decided to put together as essentially like book club chat anthology podcast. So mm-hmm. we launched, it's called Ursa Short Fiction. It launched in June. Season one launched in June. We've got a few more episodes left in season one. Then we'll take a quick break. And then we've got uh, more stories and conversations coming up um, later this year. But, um, but it's essentially, you know, Donnie and Disha, two brilliant award-winning authors geeking out on short stories, um, going deep. So there are book club episodes in which they're going deep on sort of, um, new and classic collections and inter- author interviews. And then we're doing these like fully produced audio stories in which voice actors are performing different short stories. Oh, cool. Um, so it's been, it's been such a blast to work on, um, and um, Donnie and Disha are fantastic. So they have like, they also both grew up in the same hometown, Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, wow. So um, they have that hometown connection. And, you know, so it's just like, you know, whether you are a reader or an aspiring writer, there's kind of something for everybody on that front in terms of going into like the craft of it and also just kind of appreciating the storytelling as a reader. Um, so it's been super fun to work on. And, um, so that's it. Our, you know, our plan is to 
keep working on more stories. We want to build this as a platform to showcase emerging writers and then also sort of, you know, bring out more well-known writers to, to impart their wisdom as well. And, um, ursastory.com. You can go there to check it all out. And what do you do? So I'm working on as producer on the product and business side. So Donnie and Disha are on the sort of creative curatorial side in terms of um, stories and authors. And, um, you know, a lot of like a lot of stuff that I learned from the long reads experience that I wanted to bring into, you know, what Ursa could be, but sort of thinking of it like, you know, it, it, there is like a curatorial aspect to it that kind of is similar to what, you know, what long reads aimed for. Um, but it is like about basically, you know, giving people an entry point to great stories that they might not have heard about otherwise. And mm. short stories are kind of an interesting thing because it's not, you know, um, it's not a sort of a common habit to just read short stories. And it's very hard to like find them in different places, even though it's just like, there are so many great stories out there and so many amazing writers out there. So, um, so we thought it was like really important to, you know, bring out these stories, produce them well, but also give the context on the stories and help, you know, bring people right. into them. Um, so yeah, a lot of good stuff so far. It's been fun. I love short stories, but I find that I don't, there's like an inertia to diving into them. Do you mm -hmm. have that? You probably don't have that. Oh, I do. I mean, I like, you know, my background is journalism and nonfiction. So like, um, I was, you know, I knew more about that than mm -hmm. I knew about short stories. Um, but I think it is, it's just like, just the way, um, there's a whole machine around the publishing industry and novels and how they're marketed and how they're yeah. presented on social media. And that, that machine does not exist for short stories. There are a lot of these like amazing literary magazines and nonprofits that, you know, give out awards and do that kind of stuff. But, um, the, the mechanism is not there as much, um, in terms of like spotlighting stories and giving people an introduction to them. So right. that's something that we felt like we could do something that helps add to that and bring something to the table like that. Did um, you read that? Uh, I forget where it ran, but did you read bad art friend? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I read that. Mm -hmm. That was, compelling. that was, that was, I think uh, this is not your point, but that was, I think one of the points where I was like, I should not be spending this much time on Twitter anymore. <laughs> I know. Right? Like Twitter is a different, like when I started long reads, it was a very different place. Twitter was a very different place than it is today. And obviously like, you know, the whole Trump era is one piece of it. Um, but also just like, I think I blame the algorithm mm -hmm. and the way they changed the product for a lot of the reasons it became so, angry and um toxic um, yes so i and i just like i you know st stories like that where people just you know really just um getting deeply invested mm -hmm. on twitter did you go through that with that did i go through like, what did you get deeply invested in that story bad art friend um 
I, I found it sort of entertaining, and I think I had opinion. I I can't remember now what what my opinion was, but I had an opinion about who was the bad art friend, and mm-hmm. you know. But um, I don't know. I don't think I was like. I don't think I was consumed by it. I don't and think you, I was reading that much about on Twitter about it. And you're not really a Twitter person, like. Oh no, I am. Oh, you're super. I, I spend a lot of time on Twitter. Yeah. What do, do you have a do you have a similar feeling about it or what what is your Twitter take? Um yeah, I find well, I am and maybe this is almost like protective in a way. I don't get a lot of engagement on Twitter. I have a lot of followers on Twitter, but when I tweet, like not a lot happens and I don't know why. And it's maybe it is an algorithm thing. It's like I follow this woman um and she will complain about going viral. And I, it sounds like I'm bitching about her and I'm not. Like for some reason, she's in some like algorithm situation where her name is Lou. Oh, like I forget her name. Um, she writes for McSweeney's and, uh, and some others. But like she's in some algorithm situation where her tweets keep going viral. And because they go viral, she gets – they're like tweets about parenting – and they'll go and they're funny and they'll go viral. And then she'll get all these people saying all this negative stuff to her in like the f- kind of really an annoying way. And I look at that versus my tweets where it's like handful of people respond, handful of people like them, handful of people retweet them, but it's like not the same at all. And I think it's just like not that many eyes are on them. There's so much stuff going by on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, like I said, I have a lot of followers, but like, there's not very much engagement. So, um, I don't know. I, it's like you get in what you, you get out what you put in. So if I engage in a negative way, which I'm prone to do, then it can become very annoying very quickly. Like if I talk about COVID stuff or political stuff, which like I said, or gun stuff, which like I'm, or abortion stuff, which I am very inclined to do too often. Um, then it gets really annoying really fast for me. Um, yeah, no, it's like, it's not a good place for me, but I spend too much time there anyway. Yeah. I mean, that, that was another reason. Like I, I was like, I'm spending too much time on Twitter and, you know, I saw, and I'm not saying TikTok is better. TikTok probably has, it, you know. No, but it does stuff. feel like a, a more enriching, wholesome place. It definitely well, does. Yeah. For me, it was just like, oh, this is, uh, it was also like, there's an evergreen nature to the content that's made there. So it's kind of interesting in that way. But it was like, just sort of another reason where I was like, oh, I need to go explore what else is out there in the world. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think there there is like, if you um, have success with something like, um, like, you know, with long reads, it was um, for me, what stepping away was a good chance. Like, okay, I need to like, go see, you know, what else is happening in the world on these other social networks? Like I was deeply right. invested in Twitter for a very long time. And um, that's, that's prevented me from seeing all these other cool things that are out there in the world that you can do creative stuff with. Yes. Yes. Twitter does feel like I'm like staring at my own navel. Like I don't feel like I'm, it's just, I like feeling like I know what's happening news wise very rapidly. Um, like I know what the conversation is, even though I don't know it in any depth. Um, 
But I feel like that's just a rationale for just scrolling, endless scrolling, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't deepen anything. It's almost a compulsion. Twitter is a compulsion for me. Yeah. But, yeah. So can I... Um, yes. I know you have more questions for me, but can I ask you... Yes. ...about your podcasting? Because mm-hmm. you you are, and I mentioned this before we started recording, you're prolific. Um, as someone who is now producing podcasts, it's just like really impressive. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, what you do and the frequency in which you do it. And so I'm like, just sort of curious what your kind of like broader feeling is about how you, how you podcast and what you like about it. Hmm. That is a very, very broad question. (laughs) (laughs) Too broad. Um, what I, what I like about it. Um, I mean, I, I, I love it. I love it as a medium. Um, I love being able to connect with people and talk to them and interview them. I love being able to be myself on microphone, um, and express myself, um, I love the connection with the listeners. Uh, I love, you know, having different shows that kind of have a different personality. And even within Alice Rose and Junior Best Friend, you know, there's the Monday show that has its own personality, then the Thursday show, and then Patreon. Um, I, yeah, you know, I think that the podcast landscape is changing a bit. Um, there's a ton more celebrity hosted podcasts, which you've probably noticed. Mm -hmm. And the people, the like old school podcasters of which I would consider myself one of them, um, a conversation that we have sometimes is like, what is happening? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, so uh, many of us are a little bit, a little bit like, uh, oh, um, in that it does feel like it really is changing and every celebrity is now has a podcast and are, you know, what will that mean for all of us? That is a conversation that you hear all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's sort of interesting. Um, I don't, I don't spend that much time thinking about that, but, 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 but when we get together, when we have our special get togethers, (laughs) that's what we talk about. Um, and yeah. But Uh, it does remind me, I mean, I saw some, there was some article about the podcast, the podcasting industry looking for its next hit. I just feel like, like, it just reminds me so much of the early blogging days where mm -hmm. like a certain amount of it, um, you know, attempts to professionalize, but like at its core, these are still um, democratized tools that anyone and even easier than ever to to make one. So it what right. it takes is the drive to do it and to do it consistently. Yes. And so that's well, something you've done really well. Well, that's the thing is that th- I mean, thank you very much. That's the thing is that, yes, there, you know, all these any, you know, celebrity can come in and start a podcast, are they going to continue it? Mm-hmm. Are they going to have that relationship with their listeners? 
we'll see. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, okay. So you had more questions for me. Yes. How did you meet your wife? Um, so funny thing, this goes back to our early New York days, which mm-hmm. is like, um, living in LA and people introducing the people. So long story short is I ended up sort of falling in with a bunch of, uh, people from the Pacific Northwest. When mm-hmm. I moved to New York, a lot of people from Seattle, basically through one friend introduction, ended up meeting all of these people from Seattle. And, um, one of them eventually was my wife. Um, <laughs> And so we, yeah, so we got married in New York. Both of our kids were born in New York. And then, um, 2012, we moved to the, to the West coast. I took a job at a startup called pocket, Mm -hmm. which was like an Insta paper, like mobile reading app. Yes. I remember that. How did you go ahead? Yeah, Go ahead. Well, how did you feel about leaving New York? How did she feel? I think we were both ready just because, you know, the kids were Mm. very little. I mean, we, we ended, we ended up back in Manhattan. And so we were, you know, going to Central Park a lot, Central Park Zoo, just a Mm. lot of like great memories there. Um, but both of our families were on the West Coast. I'm from California. She's from Seattle area. So it was kind of like we were ready to go back to the West Coast and be near family. So. We ended up in the Bay Area for a few years, and then we moved to Seattle six years ago. So we've been in Seattle since. Do you like Seattle? I do. I do like Seattle. There's um, there your um, your upcoming go go f yourself segment uh-huh. um, will will include some some problems I have about Seattle. Oh boy, I can't wait. <laughs> uh, and now an important question: <laughs> the sound baffles on your wall. The uh, that are green. Did you paint those or did they come green? They came green. Nice. You want to get I like some? it. Looks yeah. good. I don't know how much they do. Mm-hmm. This is a um, little fun fact here. I'm actually in a laundry room. Are you? Yeah. we got side-by-side washer dryer right below me. <laughs> I would never know. I, I thought you had a little studio. Well, it is. It's a little studio studio and a laundry and a laundry room. Nice. It does it all. Wow. And did you always know that you wanted to have kids? Yeah. 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 Did you? Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so funny. Um, I mean, five and three is a great time. Thirteen eleven is a great time as well. But like. It's we're now at the point where I am limited in terms of the stories and the anecdotes that I'm allowed to tell on Gen X podcasts <laughs> without like written approval. So right. you don't get a bunch of like free social media content from all your fun kid anecdotes. You can't just like, yes. quote your kids. Although, about something funny. although I wonder where the line is. I mean, most a lot of people put emojis over their kids faces and I don't. And like, I wonder, am I being a bad mom? And I don't know, at a certain point, at a certain point, I'm going to have to not do it anymore. And I don't mean because of like them being like, mom, I just mean because I'm going to, I'm going to go like, well, that's not cool for me to do that anymore. (laughs) The other great thing about um, the kids these days and their TikToks (laughs) is um, 
I have found that like, I mean, Stranger Things is part of this too. It's like, they're all into 80s music now. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, let's, let's put on my 80s playlist now. Let's play our our music in the car. And, um, or things like they, um, I found out that the Weezer Blue album is now like an internet meme, or maybe like, maybe this is something everyone already knew, but like, like, um, so they're like, you grew up listening to Weezer. (laughs) (laughs) They think we're cool. I don't know. I don't know if they think we're cool, actually, but it was a little bit of disbelief that Weezer had been around that long. Are you still playing music? Um, that's another pandemic activity that I picked back up. Was just like oh, I'm gonna, you know, try and get better at guitar, and I want to. I just want to play music again. So just looking for opportunities to do that. What about you? So not really, but um, in 2020. I did a live show at Sketchfest and the Angoras reunited as like a surprise. Uh, and it was so much fun. We played two songs and it was like, it was really, 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 really fun. That so is that so was the cool. last time though. Now, are you get, are they all in Southern California? What, no. Like- so Paula, our singer is in um, Seattle actually. And she plays in a band called the heels. Uh, Tim, our drummer is in Portland and he's in a band up there. And then Yami, our bass player is down in Orange County. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So everyone's all spread out. I do. I miss music so much and I, it's been really fun to play it again. Um, Mm. do you, do you like practice guitar? Do you play any of this stuff? No, not really. I mean, after, after, uh, the Angora's re like in the lead up to Mm -hmm. reuniting with them, I was practicing and so I have the guitar, you know, accessible. And I was like, I'm going to get back into it. Uh, but I but I didn't actually do that. So. Yeah. But the intention was to do it, but I didn't do it. Yeah. I've played a couple open mic nights with a couple neighborhood dads here in Seattle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, but the thing that I realized, which is the thing that I realized about. Uh, so I, I did my own podcast very briefly. Yes, um, it is on hiatus at the moment, but everything I learned, um, you can enjoy the back catalog of seven <laughs> episodes, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. So, um, but the thing I learned about that is a similar thing to what I'm learning about music, which is like, if, if I am only doing some, an activity by myself, it is going nowhere. Like mm. I need collaborators. Like I need to join a band or if I'm doing a podcast, I need to find collaborators and partners with it because, um, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work. The energy is not gonna work if I'm just holding myself to my own deadlines because I will yeah. blow those deadlines every time. Yeah. Do you find the same thing? <sighs> Um, cause you have a whole team. Yeah, kinda. Do I find that? No, maybe a little bit. I mean, like I, I also kind of chafe at other people, uh, holding me accountable sometimes. <laughs> so. Yes, yes and no. Like it probably does work better if I have someone holding me accountable, but then also I get frustrated a little bit by it. So it it, it, it kind of the the deciding factor for me is like how into it I am, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if it's something I'm into and there's someone else depending on me, then that is good. That's a yeah. good combo. Yeah. yeah. So are you still in touch with like Hal from wait, Terrace Apart? Is that what Terrace, you guys were called? Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Mhm. Yep. Yeah, I keep in touch with all of those, all of all of my old bandmates. Bandmates, um, 
and all the various bands that people have been in since. It's, um, but it is like, once again, Gen X memories, like just the advance of technology and how much easier it is to record music now and make right. music. Like, a, you know, I've been teaching myself Ableton too, which is like, um, so, so much cool stuff out there. So it's just like, okay, if I can break out of, you know, whatever everyone expects of people over 40, which is they never listen to anything new ever again, there's a lot of cool stuff out there. Right. Nice. So let's do your Hey, Go Fuck Yourself. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So Seattle, I love Seattle. Um, but also they, there are some issues. There's a thing called the Seattle freeze. Yes, I've heard of this. Yeah. So I think that's a real thing. I, um, you know, this is, that's, this is not really a rant about that. I think it's, it's been hard for me to kind of break down Seattle freeze versus just like, you know, when you're older, it's just harder to make friends and, you know, get, get to know people in the way you did in like your twenties. So, um, but I will say there is kind of a standoffishness and a politeness, which leads me to the, the way they drive here. Um, mm. So Seattle drivers have this thing where it, it drives me nuts, where they are dangerously polite with the way they drive. So you've got, you've got a road, maybe you're going to cross it when the coast is clear, but there is no crosswalk. Mm. You've got the car coming. Now you can tell me how you feel about this. It could be, is it me or everyone as well? Um, car pulls up and they will stop for you. And like wave you across mm -hmm. and it bothers me to no end because they can't control all of the other traffic that right. may be coming around behind them. And so yeah, it is a very dangerous, polite pause <laughs> that's happening there. So I want to tell dangerously polite Seattle drivers, hey, 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 go, go fuck yourself. Right. Because they're saying to you. Go ahead and get run over. Right? Yeah. Well, they like they they're only in control of their car. They can't yeah. control any of the other cars. Right. They've are, decided they have decided that you're it's gonna for take me to the cross. Risk. And then I'm feeling yeah. this pressure to like cross. Yeah. It's like I have not gotten we don't have a quorum here. <laughs> right. So then what do you do? They've um, called your bluff. They have. They have. Well, it's just Depends on when you, whether you want to take your life in your hands. And I feel like it's actually really passive aggressive of what them, what they're doing. <laughs> you know, now, there are differing opinions. Some people don't think it's that big a deal. So, is your wife one of them? <laughs> I'm not going to name names. <laughs> it feels like she might be. <laughs> That's my sense of just what did, what just happened in that moment. Um, yes, the Seattle freeze. You know, it's funny. I had never heard of that. Uh, but I did Bumbershoot in 2015, I think. And that's when I became acquainted with the term, the Seattle freeze. Um, all right. Do you have a just me or everyone? Yeah, I do have a just me or everyone as well. Let me pull up my notes here. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me? Okay. Is it just me or do you find that you are more likely to cry during a movie when you are watching it on a plane? Yes. I feel strongly that I am 
What? What's up with that? Such a good one. What is that? Like, I'll cry during, like, the Marvel movies. (laughs) It's so weird. And it always makes me go, like, is it something about the pressure in the cabin? Like, or is it about being pulled away from my home, away from my family, except that it happens even when I'm on a plane with my family. It is so weird. But my... like a nostalgia factor with flying? It's My tears are so... Like just right behind my eyeballs when I'm on a plane. Just being so moved during like a mindless rom com. <laughs> I think I cried during Panic Room. Is that a tearful movie? I don't know. It's so weird. Yes, it. Yes, yes, yes. I can't. That's got to be everyone, right? It, it's got to be everyone. We're gonna okay. have to. I'm gonna. I didn't Google that before, so maybe it's already. There are probably a bunch of internet threads about it already. Well, I feel like if we if we Google these. There's probably like a Quora or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, but I don't trust that. Or Yahoo Answers. I don't trust mm-hmm. that. Um, that's a good question. Yeah. It's I feel weird. Like, I feel like we're only scraping the surface here, but I, there were, I thought I had other questions for you, Allison. You did. You emailed them to me. Would you like me to look them up? Let's, I have them here. Let's go okay. over. I think we've hit them actually. Like I wanted to ask you about the Angora's era. I want to talk about that era because that was after you. That was before you moved to New York. That's right. How long were you together as a band? Um. Well, so we we got together in '97, and then we broke up in 2002 when I moved to New York. Got well, it. they stayed together, but I left. So yeah. But the whole time, I was like such a shitty band member, uh, attitude wise, because the whole time I was like, I'm not really here. (laughs) Like, I'm not really going to be living in Orange County. This is an accident. I mean, I didn't say it this way, but that's my general vibe was like, it's an accident that I'm somehow in Orange County again after college because my intention was never to be in Orange County again for a long time. So don't count on me. Bye. Bye bye. So you feel um, like you had like one foot out the door the entire time yes, you were in the band? Yes. Yes. Even though I took a job at the OC Weekly and I lived in an apartment there. And so I did, you know, form relationships and roots there and stuff. Again, I on some level did have one foot out the door and I always I always planned on leaving. Um, and I felt like what's happening I wanted to leave. So eventually I did, you know, obviously leave, but yeah, I was never really like really, really committed, which I think is okay though in a band that you play in after college. But for two of them, the ones who are in the bands now, um, they really wanted to make music happen. Like that was their passion. So Mm -hmm. I think that's probably a drag to be with someone who's like, doesn't take it as seriously. Yeah. Yeah. But that's really hard to have. It, all it four or five yes. people on the same page, both in terms of like the business and the career side mm-hmm. of it, and then creatively too. Yeah. Um, right. So I was bringing in songs and like musically, I was pulling my weight, but in terms of like flyering and other stuff, I was not pulling my weight. <laughs> I did not have a passion for passing out flyers. I always thought that was a waste of time. 
And I was, I was open. How, about that's that. how you get the word out. How are you going to get the people to the show? I know. I know. Did you like fly, passing out flyers? No, we didn't do a lot of that. New York was a weird place to. Oh yeah, I guess flyers in New York, you don't have to do that. And you, um, yeah, I was in a few bands in New York, and um, got to play Mercury Lounge. I was kind of like got to the Mercury Lounge yeah. point, and That's so cool. I was happy with that. Um, but also just like it's just it was just so fun and met so many great people through that too. Like, um, and um. I do miss that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I miss New York. You miss New York? I do. I do. I have, uh, I gotta take, I haven't been back since my kids were born. Oh, wow. I haven't been there in years and years. Um, okay. I'll take them someday. They'll see it. Yeah. That'll be exciting. I, I definitely like, I, we need to bring the kids back to New York at some point. They were both born there. So we, mm-hmm. like, they've been back, but, right. um, but they're due for another, another visit to just yeah. check in and make sure they know they're New Yorkers. <laughs> their roots. <laughs> did you have, did you have other questions from your list? Um, I feel like I did, but it was a lot of the podcasting stuff, which I think we covered. Um, I do feel like like we have a lot of catching up to still do because I know, we do. It's been a long time. Yeah, um, you had mentioned like wanting to make sense of living in New York in the early aughts. And I feel like that's a separate conversation. Like we're gonna obviously have to have more conversations. Mm-hmm. And how do you like LA um in terms of family and being there and Yeah, it's good. I mean, we have a house and I lived in um I mean, technically Hancock Park, but it's more like more Hollywood. Um, Because I feel like when you say Hancock Park, people think of like stately mansions and stuff. And it was not that. Um, We lived there for five years. Um, We rented there and that's where Elliot was born. Uh, and then we we looked for a house forever um, and then finally found a, a house we like in Burbank. And um, I don't ever wish we lived like more in the center of things. Like I like living in the valley mm-hmm. um, and it's nice. And I like, yeah, I like living here. Um, I mean, occasionally, especially during the pandemic, though, I was like, it's so hot here and I do not like living in this kind of climate and it is not beautiful. And why do I not live in like a nice, beautiful place when I could really live anywhere? Why am I here? Um, I think a lot of people had that thought during the pandemic, though. Um, so, but overall, yes, it's good. I like it. And you were doing all remote podcasts, but you've gone back to in-person yes. stuff. So you're not like, oh, we did remote. Let's do that going forward. You still like the in-person aspect. Yes, of all that. yes. Um at different times I did go back to in-person and then I would like freak out because I would hear of, you know, a lot of people getting COVID suddenly. Um, And then, but now more and more back to in-person and it's just like night and day. I mean, it's just so nice to be in person again. Mm -hmm. Um, But like with Upworthy Weekly, I've never even met my co-host Todd in person. He's in Long Beach. Um, so in certain ways, like it just makes more sense to stay remote. You know, prior to the pandemic, I would be offered great guests 
but they're in New York. And I would say, oh, I only do in person. Like I had a strict in-person only policy. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah. I just felt like there's, you know, I just didn't want to deal with the technical difficulties. I didn't really know how to do it remote and make it sound good. Um, so I had to get over that. Um, but, but you going do back feel in- like in person, there is like, you feel like that dynamic helps a lot. I do. I do. But I will do, in, you know, remote podcasts where I'm like, I feel like that was really good Mm -hmm. you know i feel like it's totally fine but then i'll do one in person and it's just like it feels it's just easier Mm -hmm. it's just easier because there's it's just there's less like intellectual as intellectualizing that's not really exactly the word i mean what am i trying to think Uh, what am i trying to say it can be much more um for me as an interviewer, it can feel much more organic. I don't have to like be in my head very much about it. And I can just go based off of my gut feeling versus on zoom. I think because I am I can't into it as much. It's feels like a more cerebral exercise mm-hmm. because I'm not, I'm feeding, I'm not feeding off of like vibes, let's say, you know, yeah, like in the room, it's much more of a, energy thing mm-hmm. um you know but it's like thank god we have the ability to do it so easily remotely yeah i'll probably always continue to do that to some degree because it like opens up the world so much it's so much more convenient and i will say as a guest there are times where it's like very definitely easier to just do it re- to be remote mm-hmm. yeah 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 we've been doing ursa entirely remote oh yeah yeah you use riverside right Yep, we use Riverside.fm. That's not a, mm. a sponsored uh, sponsored endorsement, but um, yeah, there's like Riverside Squadcast is another one where right. uh, where you can record the audio locally. It's worked pretty well. Yeah, we've been using Riverside for Upworthy Weekly, um, and it. I know it uh, for for them. I think it's. Uh, it's easier to like have the video and the audio concurrently to mm-hmm. turn out, to like churn out the video with the audio. It's, it's easier. So, so with this, um, do you, are you putting this on YouTube as well? Yes, but we will then um, take the video and marry it to the podcast audio. Got so it. it's an extra step versus yeah, yeah. Riverside, which pumps it out together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have not done video at all. Oh, I see. Um, but I'm, I, you know, I have sort of mixed feelings about it because obviously like YouTube's a great place and all of that stuff too. But, um, I do think a lot about like the, just preserving the intimacy of audio question. It's a, it's a constant conversation that I find myself having with guests. I, yeah, it's, uh, I have a lot to, well, I don't have a lot to say about that, but I do have <laughs> thoughts about that. No one enjo- like no one really enjoys the video. A- no, people enjoy watching the video aspect of it, but I think most guests probably on some level would prefer to just not be doing video anyway. You know, so I don't know. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> 
I've hate I've hated every second of it. Thank you. <laughs> that's me. That's not the video. That's just my. That's just that's me. <laughs> um, no, it's uh, yeah, it's wonderful. I haven't, you know. Um, it was so nice catching up with you, Mark. Thank you for letting me take up your entire evening. This was fantastic. Thank you again for having me, Allison. It's so great to catch up. Tell everyone uh, where they should go, what they should look out for, where to find you online, etc. Okay. Um, everybody should go listen to Ursa Short Fiction, and you can go find it wherever you get your podcasts or go to ursastory.com. Um, you can follow me on Twitter if I'm still hanging out on Twitter at Mark Arms or markarms.com is my website. Perfect. Um, and if you like what you're hearing, or even if you don't, make sure you're subscribed. Allison Rosen is your new best friend. Wherever you listen to podcasts, leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever. Click five stars. Uh, I read them on the show in a segment called uh, iTunes Comments of the Week, although technically Apple Podcasts Comments of the Week. Uh, follow me on social media at Allison Rosen on Twitter and Instagram. I am on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen, all sorts of a bonus stuff there, bonus episodes of The Friend Zone. That's my Patreon podcast. There's a level where you can text me and I'll text you back. I do live streams and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and then also, what am I forgetting? I'm on Cameo, um, Upworthy Weekly, uh, and Childish. Those are my other podcasts. I know I'm leaving some stuff out, but that's okay because I'll just mention it next time. Thank you so much for listening. Mark, thank you so much. This was super fun. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. You matter. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? 